0: Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar. On Craft Cocktails, I am your host, Louise Sallison. With me, as always, is my very, very talented friend, who is a true source of happiness. The Mixtress DC Gina. <laughs>
1: hey Louise, how are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. I like to be
1: referred to now as the angel share, I've decided. There you go. Okay. It's a bit of the bottle that's shared with the heavens, and I, I, I think that's my new thing. Okay, then. I'm going to change my name. No more mixed dress, just angel share.
0: That's going to take me like a year to change. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I call you a lot of things, but you know, that one sticks. But I'm really inspired by our today's guest, so keep going. Keep going. Okay, so... With everything that's going on in the world, Gina, sometimes it just takes a little extra to turn our frowns upside down. So I have 13 simple tips that's going to boost your mood. You ready? I'm ready. All right. The first one is right up my alley. You're going to laugh at this. The first one is speak to a stranger. Research says that the simple social engagement, smiling, maybe just a little bit of boozy banter as we like, makes you instantly happier. Two Smile. Apparently, old age saying is still true. A simple smile actually makes you feel happier. I mean, who can be pissed off if you're smiling, right? My mother. Sometimes the best way to be pissed off is to smile because people are totally have no idea what you're doing. Uh, You just look demented, but still. Uh, Your mother. My mother too, right? (laughs) Again, my mother. (laughs) My mother didn't even bother to smile. So number three, strike a Wonder Woman pose. Yes, your best Wonder Woman pose. You stand powerful. Apparently, you will feel powerful. Number four is you and I, Gina. Caffeinate, caffeinate, caffeinate. Is that tequila, tequila, tequila? Well, yeah, because, you know, we mix ours together. That's a secret designated drinker sauce, though. All oh,
1: right, 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 right,
0: Five, lower your shoulders because it's relaxing, right? Pulls that tension out. Number six, I think this is super fun. Turn on some uplifting tunes because music is incredibly powerful. It can instantly change your, your mood. And then seven, it's basically the next step to that. Dance like nobody is watching. Okay, why not? Why not? Eight, this one makes sense. Vitamin D, right? Get some sunshine. A lot of us are working from home. Open the blinds, move closer to the window. Or like me the other day, just sit out on your patio if you can and work from there. It's amazing. Simple, simple, simple. And then here's even one better. Number nine, shut off your damn laptop get out of the house, go for a walk. Even five minutes can change. Just five minutes can change your whole mood. And then if you can't seem to pull yourself away from your laptop, apparently watching stupid animal videos, you can't help but smiling, definitely change your mood. 11. Connect with a friend. And, you know, in in COVID, it's a little more challenging, but do whatever you can, you know, make a call, a chat, a Zoom, a FaceTime, smoke signals, over a fence, through a mask, whatever it takes. And then one step further, 12, if you can hug the ones that you love. I think this year has taught us don't miss out on that opportunity anymore because who knew we weren't going to be able to do it for over a year. And last but not least, our 13th tip is to volunteer. According to research, people become happier after they start volunteering. And it's crazy that they can measure that, but they can absolutely measure that. So all of this leads me to today's designated drinker who can definitely help us find plenty of ways to give back to our communities. He is the executive director of Carpenter Shelter. Please welcome Shannon Steen to the show. Welcome to the show, Shannon.
2: Thank you. Pleased to be here. Great.
0: Great. So do you practice all 13 of those?
2: I'm not sure that I hit all 13, but I try and get to as many as I can.
0: (laughs) When the episode's released, you can just go like go back and forth. Make sure you got them all. Just keep replaying.
2: (laughs) There you go. There you go. It'll work. It'll work.
1: I was going to say when you said 13, I was going to say donate. Because like that for me is like anything you can donate, you, you you feel better instantly. Whether it's time, volunteering. Yeah. You know, money for me, product at a restaurant, you know. Absolutely. yep To see good being done is the best.
0: And to be a part of that too, even on the smallest of efforts is definitely a great way to give back. So Shannon, can you please... Tell us about your journey of a chronic do gooder <laughs>
2: <laughs> I am happy to do that. Yeah, and that's a title that I have been um, given and worn uh, by some dear friends for a long time. Chronic do-gooder, I got myself started uh, right out of college in nonprofit human services, and I haven't figured out how to get out yet.
0: The addiction is strong.
2: The addiction is strong. I think of it as an honor and a privilege that if what I do on a day in and day out basis is help people, that's what I'm charged with doing. It feels like there's really nothing better in that sense. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. That is awesome. So how did it all begin for you? How did this this journey start? So
2: I went to, I grew up in rural Minnesota, grew up in a small town, 650 people. So when I say small town, I really mean small town where my father was the barber, my mother was the part-time church secretary. And in a town that size with parents in those two roles, everybody knows what it is that you're doing and you get a pulse on what it is that they're doing. But that whole concept of getting involved, helping other people is just part of the ethos. It's part of the culture. So I feel privileged to have been raised in that way.
0: So when you left, they went out and had to like scratch off the numbers.
2: (laughs) (laughs) At the the time that I left, they were at 704 people. So they've lost a few in the last probably 30 years, simple upbringing, but very hearty. And I, I just, I still carry big parts of that with me. And now being in the city of Alexandria, it might be a town of about 150,000 people, but it really works like a small town there are some deep and strong networks of people and and you know that just feels as much like home now as being back
0: in the rural midwest what brought you here to to alexandria
2: yeah so my journey to the city of alexandria in the dc area I was, for the first 28 or so years of my life, living in rural Minnesota, spent three years then in rural Nebraska, ended up getting divorced, was living as a closeted gay male in the middle of rural Nebraska. It was really not a good fit. I can't imagine. Culturally, yeah. Great salt of the earth people, but I knew I needed something different in my life. So I loaded what I could fit into my 1996 Honda Accord. (laughs) (laughs) I put the rest in storage, drove halfway across the country. My brother and sister-in-law at the time didn't have any children, but they were expecting their first baby about three months after I arrived. And so I slept on their sofa for five weeks while I got a job and a place to live lined up and everything fell into place so seamlessly that I look back on it and I think, you know, I must have a charmed existence that there wasn't this huge bump in the road. There wasn't this huge hurdle. It just seemed like it was the right thing to do. So I slept on their couch, ended up getting a job, getting a place to live with an old college roommate who his roommate had just moved out. He needed somebody to move in. Just so many things, the stars sort of aligned. And I've been here ever since. And it feels like home. Definitely feels like home. That's great. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you've lived here now longer. Almost. Yeah, longer than? Almost.
2: Almost? Yep, yep. 21 years here in the area.
0: Wow.
1: That's yeah. great. That's great. Yeah. You definitely beat me on that one just a little bit by a little. I've lived here almost half my life, and I'm from New York. And I always say, I was like, oh, where do you consider home now? I'm like, oh, I I think it's D.C. I think it's I think I'm think i from mm. New York, but this is my home. Mm-hmm. And it, And it's hard to say that because I used to say as a kid, When I went to school here, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to go home. And everyone always knew I was going to go to New York. And now I'm like, I don't say that anymore. I'm like, oh, I'm going to New York to visit family. And then I'll be be back home.
2: Yes, I totally identify with that.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting switch that happens to you.
2: Now, for me, as soon as I'm on the phone with someone or visiting in person with someone back there, a very round cadence comes back to my vowels, Minnesota, we're going out on the boat you know, and that's very sing song kind of thing starts to happen. Yeah. Now, Gina, for you, you still do carry some New York in that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just came back from New York. I was there with my family. We're all vaccinated now. And it's terrible. And my sisters, I talk to my sisters every day. So I'm never going to lose it. But my children don't sound like me. So they'll have a better shot at a good education. (laughs) Although I did go to University (laughs) of Maryland, and I am a proud uh, alumna of uh terp so and i think it's a great alma mater but I, I of course you want your children to do everything better than you so if they can get into maryland that'd be great but if they go on to do better then i'd be even happier
0: without this accent Aww. as long as they get a scholarship though make sure they get the, the scholarship though right <laughs> oh yes if
1: anyone's giving out free scholarships my kids are six and seven we're into it so if you know what you need by then i will force them to learn the ukulele whatever it is the, the instrument that you're missing. <laughs> I don't know. Nice. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I hear the ukulele scholarships are the way to go these days.
0: I mean, yeah. Apparently her children are going to the University of Hawaii. You're going to learn how to play all the Don Ho songs.
1: Anyway, I, for, I'm, I'm fascinated. I want to know more. I want to know more. Tell us more.
0: So what was your entry into nonprofit and in the charitable space?
2: Yeah, yeah. My now ex wife was working at my alma mater. She had um, graduated and then got a job back in the library of St. Olaf College, Northfield, Minnesota. And so we stayed in Northfield. The first job I could find uh, was with a nonprofit human service company. They helped people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And so they showed me this drawer full of case files and they said, Here are 15 different people living independently in the community. Your job is to do whatever it takes to keep it that way. So I filed taxes, I paid bills, I scheduled doctor's appointments and all sorts of different daily living things.
0: Oh my goodness.
2: Basically helping run 15 different households. And it was fascinating. And it felt like I had done a lot of living in a short period of time. Wow. From there, got started into some vocational services for people that either had a mental health diagnosis or some developmental disabilities. Helped them find and keep jobs in the community, then moved to Nebraska and started working with people that were in crisis, usually were homeless. After the three years in Nebraska working with people that were homeless, moved out here to the DC metropolitan area. And surprise, surprise, there were more people that were homeless and in need of assistance. And so that's just sort of been the theme for me. Did a two year break where I was doing some national work with a group called Lutheran Services in America working with, ding, 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 no surprise, health and human service nonprofits all across the country, really felt like I wanted to see a local mission in action. It, I, I needed to feel like I was digging in in a specific community. And that's when I learned about the opportunity at the Carpenter's Shelter. We're six years down the road now, and it's been such a great fit. And it's been a fun, fun ride.
1: How long has the Carpenter's Shelter been there? The
2: Carpenter's Shelter has been in existence since the early 1980s but we have been at 930 North Henry Street in the city of Alexandria since the late 1990s. Yeah, a variety of different buildings that we've been in over the life of the organization. started in the basement of a church. When they were gonna get redeveloped, we moved to a warehouse, then we moved to a different warehouse, then we moved into a retrofitted DMV. We spent the last two and a half years in a defunct shopping center in in an old Macy's space that we had outfitted for our needs. And uh, just back in this last November, we moved into a purpose-built shelter, which feels like "Ah, we've really arrived somewhere. And it's all the generosity of the community. I'm remarkably grateful, remarkably proud of what the community has done and feel like, you know, part of my job is to be a good steward.
0: So what is the mission and the purpose behind Carpenter Shelter?
2: Yeah, the mission is to assist people that are in need of help with their housing crisis with shelter, some services, some education and some advocacy. That's sort of the more technical end of it. But really, it's to take people from homeless to housed and help walk alongside them as they're on that path. And everybody's situation is a little bit different when they come to you and they've lost everything uh, with their housing. And so every solution that is needed is custom crafted to what their situation is. So you meet some amazing people, you see some phenomenal stories of resilience, phenomenal stories that people just keep going. And when you think of what they've been through, it's hard not to it's hard not to love them. It's hard not to respect what it is that they're doing. And it's hard not to cheer them on
0: as they succeed. Absolutely. That's great. That's great. And I think the other thing and part about the volunteering and making yourself feeling better for it, I think there also is a part of that you realize no matter how bad things might be in your at your moment of time, because we all get stuck on little things, right? Like sometimes we make mountains out of molehills. When you see somebody who's dealing with something so dire as losing their home and and sometimes all their worldly possessions and how they come through it sometimes with such grace and like you said resilience it's hard not to feel to realize how small some of the things we are facing right yeah
2: yeah So, you know, as you were saying that, Louise, what was going through my mind, we had a large family come into the shelter in this last year. And when I say large family, I don't remember if it was, I don't know, six kids, eight kids, a lot of kids. And as they were getting toured through the shelter, one of the things that one of the children said to our staff who had been on staff for a long period of time, had seen a lot of things, really was what we had thought of as unflappable. With wonder and with, you know, excitement and zeal, one of the kids says, does this mean that everybody gets to take a shower on the same day? Like they had been so stuffed into a teensy tiny little place where there physically wasn't the possibility that everyone in the family could clean themselves up for the day on the same day.
0: That's crazy. You know, unfortunately in the U S we have such a huge divide between the haves and have nots. And I think that without someone like you being that advocate and being a voice of a, of an organization like Carpenter Shelter, we don't know. Like you don't, it's not, it's something that it's not part of our everyday. So I think that you lose track and uh, I have to thank you for, you know, bringing that to everyone's attention, including, especially myself.
2: Yeah. You know, for me, one of the intangible benefits of being at the carpenter's shelter is there's not a night that I don't go home. Grateful that I have a home to go to. Yeah. Sounds a little bit, sounds a little bit corny, but how do you not believe that and feel that, that fully when, when you get the chance to see, you know, there are people struggling in our community.
0: And you have the opportunity to help. That's amazing. And you amazing. have
2: the opportunity to help. And the best part about the Carpenter's Shelter, and I think it's part of our secret sauce, part of the real magic of Carpenters, comes from our twelve hundred volunteers a year. Wow. Twelve hundred people rolling up their sleeves, seeing our mission in action. You know, for some of them, it, it's. It's one of the miracles of carpenters that we serve three meals a day, 365 days a year. We have no paid kitchen staff because it's volunteers that are handling those aspects of it. 16 hours a day, we've got a reception desk that is staffed by volunteers. We've got so many volunteers that we've got a great team that's wonderful at helping custom craft what those opportunities are. So we've got people that their volunteer job is, they come in, they clean, and they organize the refrigerator. It's what they love to do. It's what's needed. They feel valued. They bring value to the organization. Yeah. Like that's their way of showing love, care, and concern for their neighbors. How is that not the coolest thing?
0: That's so inspiring. It's so inspiring. Do you only limit yourself to
1: the city of Alexandria, or you got, or you're you taking people from DC too? Don't you?
2: So we have our hands full right now in the city of Alexandria. So no, I typically typically we're working just with people in the city of Alexandria on a very short term basis. We can help some people that may come in and need a night or two, but generally we redirect them back to. When you're helping someone get resettled back in their community, it's easiest in the community in which they already have networks of support. And so that's the overarching principle behind it's going to be easier for you. get restarted.
1: Did you see a large influx in the last year of people losing their jobs and need?
2: We definitely saw a slowing in the pace with which people are able to exit shelter successfully. You know, On on any given year, if you're a single that's coming into the shelter, your average length of stay is going to be about two months that you're with us. And if you're a family coming in, your average length of stay is going to be about three months. Now, when the pandemic happened, that length got longer. It took more. It took more time. It took more effort in order to find not only the housing, but also to make sure that jobs and opportunities for people, those just weren't as plentiful. They weren't as easy to find. So yeah, the pandemic is sort of the ultimate disruptor as it's been for everyone. You know, this is my first pandemic I've lived through. Yeah, lucky us, huh?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, ours too.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Here in D.C., I, I'm in Washington D.C. If you're listening to the show, and like we did a lot of stuff with uh, D.C. Central Kitchen, and um, share our yep. strength for the for the for the for the kids that need to backpack meals and stuff like that. But you know, displaced families is is it's it's first of all it's heartbreaking because you have so many little kids, and when you say things, what you just said, you know, like well, we're going to be taking a shower. How do you not help? You know, like how do you how you can't I don't know people with extreme wealth yeah. or something like that. Like I, I don't ever know how you could turn a blind eye to people that are just, just basic needs. So I, right? I don't know. I, I, I commend you for what you do, and I, and I help with as much as I always can, always. But, yep. It's yep. a heavy. It's a. It's, it's a hard, heavy thing that you do, and 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 you should be. And when I met by like Angel Share earlier in the show and I said I want, to be, I want to be called the Angel Share, I feel like, you know, people living amongst us are angels and what you do for people is exceptional and extraordinary and it shouldn't be extraordinary, it should be a norm. And I don't know why people don't take more people like you and say, I want to be like Shannon. You know, I want to be like Shannon. I want to be like <laughs> what he does instead of being like, I want to be a basketball player. Because like a basketball player... OK, you know, it's one job in yep. <clears> 200. This is something you could feel good every day.
2: Well, I can tell you this, Gina, with my skill set, we're much better served in this world having me at the shelter rather than having you on the basketball court, because I tried that in high school. <laughs> I was really not good at it,
0: really not good at it. We all have our place in the world.
2: <laughs> we all have our place in the world. And here's what, it, it, Gina, you're right. It can be heavy. It can be heavy work. I mean, you see people, in some ways, I think of the shelter sort of like being at the airport in that there are so many extremes of emotion. You see people that, you know, it, it's feeling like goodbye or it's parting or it's something that's that's not positive in what you're looking for. And so there's there can be a heavy vein of that. I mean, it's not all cotton, cotton candy flowers and sunshine when someone first comes into the shelter. They're scared. They've probably not had to do this before. They don't know what the future holds. But then you also see at much the same time, there are people who have started to put those pieces together. And they are either on the brink of, or they have some new keys to a new apartment in their hand, and they're getting ready to move out. And they've got that twinkle in their eye. And you know, you've helped them do that. Like there is nothing cooler in the world when you see a family or a person And they've taken that opportunity and capitalized on it. And you think, you know what, Godspeed to you, you go, you're going to do great things. And this experience doesn't have to define you. But I hope you hang on to enough of it that you remember what it's like and you do either pay it back or pay it forward, whichever, as that process goes. I feel like I've got the greatest seat in the house for seeing the community's generosity. Because whether it's those 1,200 volunteers a year, our greatest supporter is not the government. Our biggest source of support comes from the community. It's individuals, it's corporations, it's faith communities. Like That's what a community can do. And it's phenomenal when you see it happen.
0: So tell us, speak directly to Alexandria, of course, because that's where your home base is. Tell us how people can help. I mean, help, share that, that uh, center aisle seat you got with us and tell us, how, tell us how we can be a part of that.
2: Yeah. So anytime you've got 1,200 volunteers a year, I think I had mentioned this before, you get good at figuring out how do we find what's going to be a match for someone's skills, availability, and interest. And we are happy to do that if you are interested in volunteering. If you are not interested in volunteering, but you think I still wanna help in some way, we do We rely on financial support from the community. Information on all of that is available at carpentersshelter.org. There's two S's in the middle there. That's the most frequent typo that people make when they're trying to find us. But carpentershelter.org, great source of information. And if Carpenters Shelter isn't your thing, my encouragement to you is think about what is your thing. Maybe it's the local youth soccer league. Maybe it's the food pantry in town. Maybe it's the symphony. Like get involved. As you said at the yes. beginning, Louise, like mm-hmm. volunteering, it's it's as much a reward for you as it is for who you are, quote, helping. You're helping yourself.
0: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a selfish act because you just walk away feeling so good about it. I mean, it obviously, if you, it's done right, you're obviously giving back um, more than perceived what you get, but your heart is full. Yeah. And if you're, yeah, and you're right, find what fits for you because it could be animals, it could be whatever it is. You're going to feel so wonderful for doing it, and the world is better because you did. Absolutely. So, Gina, I kick it off to you to make the world better right now.
1: This is my this is my lot in life, right? <laughs> this is my gift to give everybody. All right, so we're gonna make a cocktail, and I I, I need one right now. I'm a little teary-eyed. I'm be, I'm not gonna lie. You know how I, I love you, um, philanthropy. Anyway, okay. So one thing that um, I love and our guest Shannon loves is uh, martinis, and you know why not? Because martinis are a delicious uh, drink. So we're going to do a little riff on a classic martini. And what we're going to do is do two ounces of a London dry style gin of your choosing. I am using Forge gin. There are plenty of dry gins out there that you could use. Louise, what are
0: you going to use? So I actually had, I brought up two because I realize I have more gin than I have just about anything else in this house, Uh, (laughs) except maybe dog hair. I brought up Beefeaters because you were doing a... Oh, stop. Beefeater. Because you were saying classic. So that's where I
1: went. Nothing's more classic than like beef eater and Campari, and that's we're gonna do our next ingredients.
2: Gina, do I get points for a bomb by sapphire in a Costco sized bottle? Doesn't have a handle. <laughs> of course. But it's a big boy size.
1: Obvi. <laughs> did did you pop out that little plastic no, he still that little has plastic that. thing in there? <laughs> that's my thing. I like to gush it and just pour it into the um, the jigar. Okay. So we have two ounces of <laughs> we have two ounces of gin in our stirring glass. We're gonna add three quarters of an ounce of dry um, sweet vermouth. Um, I'm using Dolan. I, you know, I love Carpano Antica. I'm I'm a big fan. of uh, Different vermouths. A great thing to um, think of this drink as, right, is really when you think about it, it's just a variation on a Negroni, right? Because that's what is in Negroni, and it's delicious. And then we're going to do a quarter... And I okay, say, ahead. sorry, I
0: had to step away to get my vermouth out of the refrigerator because we all know that's where you keep it. That's right. And then we're going to add a quarter ounce, and we're going to finish our drink with a quarter ounce of
1: Campari. And, you know, really, when you say Negroni, you know, people talk about the Negroni, they're like Campari, gin, you know, vermouth, you know, and then you add a classic, you know, martini, and a martini would have had... Um, Know martini would have had vermouth and bitters and gin in it. None of these drinks are too far off from each other. It's just the way that you put it together. So now that being said, we have we're gonna add this, we're gonna add three quarters full of ice, and then we're gonna stir for 30 rotations. And one thing that we always want to do when you're making um, any drink is, is stirring glasses. Make sure you have proper rotation. So you have to ask yourself at this point: Is my house? 73 degrees Mm, if it is you're going 45 rotations your house is a comfortable 66 to 67 30 is your number if you are in um florida or hopefully you know if you're in like you know the democratic part of florida whatever that is um (laughs) you're gonna give uh maybe 50 rotations you just want the drink to be nice and cold because you're not gonna waste all this booze and then you're throwing in a container that's hot and you waste all the time
2: I am by nature a shaker not a stirrer.
1: Mm. so it'll be a little bit different in <laughs> a cocktail than what I'm gonna have
2: oh no I'm stirring but but uh, 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 is there help help the help the uneducated with when I should stir and when I should shake
1: so you're gonna you're gonna take your spoon you're gonna So if you have no juice in the cocktail and it's only spirit ingredients, including bitters, you always stir. If you have juice or sugar in the drink, you shake. Okay. That's that's usually the rule of thumb. Is all rules meant to be broken? Of course. And honestly, I always say this. If you wanted to shake this drink, it would taste a little bit different than mine, but not too much. So then we're going to take our cocktail. And we are just going to strain it off into a chilled martini glass or a coupe, you know, or, and if not, um, you know, a regular glass, no one's watching. This drink is for you. And then we're going to give ourselves a little, about a quarter size amount, a size of uh, orange rind. And we're gonna just going to zest it over, atomize it over the top, beautiful. And we put it over the top and we're going to drop it in. And that's it. Simple, delicious.
0: I was going to say nutritious, it's not nutritious, but <laughs> delicious. <laughs> Louise, let me see yours. It goes right back to that mood lifter. Cheers.
2: Cheers. Mmm. So
0: the compara just
1: mellows oh. it out just a bit. Yes. That it's- is
0: really, really interesting. That is so good. First, just right on the nose, right even before you take a, even a sip. Yeah. It's so lovely on the nose, and it oh, says God. hello. It does. <laughs> hello, lovely. You can. One
1: one fun thing that you can do with this cocktail that I always like to do is take like um you know a, a nice dry vermouth or um like a like a Rosetta vermouth or something that's like a little bit pinky. And change that. Don't change the Campari. The Campari is good just the way it is. Um, The gin, you could always add two and a quarter ounces for something a little bit more um, stiff, you know. But you don't need to. Three ounces times three, you know.
0: Per glass.
2: (laughs) So, Gina, one of the other um, things on my drink scorecard is – do I have a ring that matches it?
1: Mm, let's see it.
2: I mean, I am a gay man. So, you know, <laughs> what? Here's, here's a question. Here's a, here's a question for you. I really
1: love this question. to go.
2: <laughs> what separates us from lower forms of life?
0: I, a brain. I want to say compassion, but.
2: Our ability to accessorize.
0: <gasps> there we go. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. And
2: so, having, having a ring that matches your drink.
0: There you go spot on. Th- I love that.
2: This has a lovely
0: color. It does.
1: But that would also separate me from my sister is my ability to accessorize. <laughs> 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 oh God, they're going to hear this and be like, what did you say about us on the I thought you were going to, can I just be honest? Yes. When I drink drinks like this, I always want to wear a caftan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'll just put it in a cat, I'll be fine. Maybe a nice little turban kind of thing. I'm totally into it.
2: Channel your inner Mrs. Roper.
1: Well I mean,
0: yes. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Well, you know, kimonos are in. If Mrs. Roper was a pirate, she is that's my that's my spirit person right there. She Mrs. Roper lived on a boat and and did pirating kind of things. I'm totally into (laughs) it. How does one pirate in a kimono? In a caft in a caftan? Or a (laughs) moo-moo. Very flowily.
0: Very easily. You're just, you know, you're... That would be a lot of, that seems hazardous. That's a lot of material to pick up, you know, and keep it up. I'm I don't like, know. Pirating,
1: I think, I, I think you guys should realize I don't want to steal anything. I just want to, like, drink rum on the seas. You know, I'm not really, let me change it. I guess I really want to be cruising. <laughs> that's completely different than pirating. True. I think, I know, but pirating just sounds better. Because otherwise I'm just like, you know, a lady on a, on a cruise. Yeah, you're a snowbird. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm <laughs> my Aunt Teresa. <laughs> Not too far off. I have family who does this. All right, Gina. Where are they going to go to get the, the tips and tricks on this cocktail?
1: Uh, you're going to go to Show, and you can get the recipes and how to get to Carpenter's Kitchen and all of um, Louise's um, secrets <laughs> that she's going to tell everybody. And what was that, Louise?
0: Yeah, all the secrets. <laughs> So where are they going to go? They are going to go to designateddrinker.show. The other thing you can do is you can um, actually look at your episode notes if you're on a smartphone, which I'm sure while you're listening to this, you just swipe up and those notes will be there. You'll be able to get to our links as well as Carpenter Shelter. Absolutely. So if you're ready, if you're in the area and ready to donate or volunteer. And a donate button. Do we have a donate button, Shannon? That we can- this
2: is a big green donate button. That's there. right.
1: You need to press that button. That's That's the only button you should be pressing right now while you can't go out
0: to different places. There you go. I love it. Are, are there currently volunteer opportunities?
2: There are volunteer opportunities and there's a whole webpage designated just to explain what that process looks like and, and how you can get involved. So feel free to check it out. Carpentershelter.org. We would love to engage you in our work and mission.
0: Absolutely. Cause there's a lot of people who are finding falling on hardship, maybe not be able to have those, um, those heavy pockets, but can still have time. Maybe where you're at in life right now, you've got time. So there's still ways to give back if you can't open up the wallet. So and give everyone the opportunity. Number thirteen. There you go. <laughs> That's got a whole new meaning. We turn number thirteen and doing something good. <laughs> I love that. All right, Louise, it's my turn.
1: Yay. I think it's your turn. So I have a good one. So Shannon, you know, everybody identifies themselves with some sort of spirit animal these days. You know, they might identify themselves with, you know, a grasshopper. What I'm asking is if you can identify yourself as a spirit ingredient, what would it be and why? And it could be for culinary or alcohol.
2: My spirit ingredient would be rhubarb bitters. They add a depth and an earthiness, a real feeling of, Substance and connection.
1: I love that. That's a good answer.
0: Wow. That's a
1: really good answer.
0: That's awesome. That's got a little, that deserves like a little shoulder (laughs) shimmy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just did a head roll with your shimmy. I'm into it. All right, Louise. I think it's time. It's time to say goodbye. So
0: cheers and thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers to being better people. Thank you for all that you do, Shannon. And thank you for spending your time with us. I'm glad to be here. The Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a podcast media company that is dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia, led by skilled caregivers, Bobby and Mike Carducci. Now, if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy the theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and everything in between. Find Missing Links League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows. Your review helps our shows reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company.